Hey Playwright, I'm Tori Rice. And I'm Mabel Reynoso. And welcome to Hey Playwright. A podcast about playwriting and life. Hey Tori. Hey Mabel. Is there anything going on in, in your world? We did our taxes. <laughs> I, I was having a great conversation with BB today. He's like, do you hate paying taxes? I'm like, I don't hate paying taxes. I hate doing the paperwork to pay the taxes. I'm fine paying taxes. I'm I'm happy to know that my money is supporting libraries and schools mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. What I hate is doing I wish they could just be automatic. Like just do it for oh, I me. Know. I know. Yeah, that that's the thing. It takes a, it it's the paperwork, the gathering of the stuff. Although I got to say it's gotten a lot easier because Ron got a really good bookkeeper for his books and that used to be the hardest part was, was stuff for the business and yeah. and now that he has a good bookkeeper everything is itemized in quickbooks and it's so much easier and that has made all the difference <laughs> <laughs> i gotta tell you i you know what i did i got that book that you recommended the right thing and i love it <gasps> It is so good. Oh, I love see, it. there you go. Okay, there I, you go. I love it so much. I love it so much that I want to do these poems. I got so inspired that I'm like, oh my god, I could, I could do a book of poetry because it makes you feel like that. So what I love about this whole conversation is that when I make book recommendations, you actually listen to me. I think you're the only person on the planet that listens oh my to gosh. me. Because <laughs> this is why you are in my life. You validate me. I get super excited. So what is the book that you're talking about, Tori? I am talking about this book called The Right Thing by Kwame Alexander. And it engages students in writing workshop. And you can too. And it is just a wonderful book. It is full of real life examples of teachers implementing poetry writing into their curriculum. There are real world examples, there are exercises, there are websites that you can go to. It's just, it's fabulous. And it's all different kinds of um, poetry forms, right? So for example, and they bring, they bring, like famous published poems in there. Like what was the one that, that I went, Oh, Oh, Gwendolyn Brooks. We real cool. You know, I remember. Okay. You have William Carlos Williams. Yes, they do. Which, which was really crazy, Tori, because remember that I was telling you, Hey, have you seen this movie called Patterson? Remember I told you about that? Yeah. And so in that movie, um, you know, it's just a guy who's a bus driver who just, uh, you know, in his spare time writes poetry. Doesn't want to be a big famous poet or anything. It's just, just, just because, because it feels like a good thing. And the poem, because, because apparently William Carlos Williams was from Patterson also, and the poem that's in that movie is in that book. What? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I I thought it was super that was a weird coincidence. A, a a charming weird coincidence. Well, what the other thing I like about this is it's an instructional manual as well for teachers on how to publish their class's book of poetry. 
And so I think that's really fabulous too, because that, that can be very validating too for the students that like everything from how to design your cover, the design checklist, a press release, a marketing checklist. Man, it's that's just, what we need. <laughs> I, know, I know, right? Um, but, but it's fabulous. It's just fabulous. But I love all of the different types of poems. And then there's this, I, I really like this because I do I do enjoy visuals, the ingredients of poetry. Oh, look yeah. at that. And the ingredients of poetry, brevity, conciseness, feeling, figurative language, form, imagination, 100%, 100%, 100%, all of it. So love it. highly recommend. Thank you, Mabel. I do listen to you. I do. I like this book. And um, the only person on the planet, the only person on <laughs> the planet. So... I doubt that's true. But this is for teachers. And I think this is really fitting way to introduce our episode today. Because although this this is um, talking about poetry specifically, you know, in a lot of our workshops, we start with a poem. Uh, I, I think that segues very nicely into our guest today who happens to be a teacher and a playwright. And is very interested in engaging students in writing and performing. All right, I'm just gonna launch right into our introduction for today. Starry Kruger is a playwright, teacher, and director. Her plays, Mama Threw Me So High, He Who Speaks, Dream Train, and Canary Cockroach Phoenix have been published by Drama Notebook. Starry is the founder and artistic director of Imaginary Theater Company, a children's theater dedicated to producing original plays that empower children to be the heroes of their own stories. She holds a bachelor's degree in theater from Skidmore College and a master's degree in elementary education from the University of New Haven. She is a proud member of the Dramatist Guild, the California Educational Theater Association, Association and Theater for Young Audiences USA. Starry has worked as a teaching artist and director with the Missoula Children's Theater, Drama Kids International, and San Diego Junior Theater. She currently lives in San Diego, where she teaches theater to kindergarten through fifth grade students at High Tech <laughs> Elementary. Welcome, Yee! Starry. Welcome, Thank Starry. You. <laughs> That's exciting that you're bringing theater to the youth at that young of an age. Hooray. Yeah, it's a really awesome position, and we are hopefully going back to school in person in April. So I will be teaching theater in a parking lot. So that will be an exciting really? adventure, too. Really? Yeah. So, so how has it been right now? So you're teaching theater classes right now to kindergartners via Zoom. Is that I am. kind of virtual? Yeah, and this week we're doing our spring musicals via Zoom recordings. Um, so we've been doing Beat by Beat Press has produced these amazing online musicals. And the one we're doing is called Super Happy Awesome News. It's about two kids who have rival news stations. And at first they're only telling happy news stories. And then the, the moral is like, sometimes we have feelings that aren't happiness and sometimes things happen that are hard and it's okay to talk about them too. So it felt very timely. Um, and so I edited all of their stuff together in iMovie and then we're going to have like a virtual red carpet and their virtual world premiere <laughs> together on Zoom this week. So that'll be fun. That is so cool. And what grades are working on that? 
kindergarten through fifth grade. Oh, it's the whole. Oh, it's oh the my whole... god! Wow, yeah. how exciting! Beat by Beat Press is a great resource for teachers. Yes, definitely, especially mm-hmm. during quarantine. They like within a, a week of everything shutting down last spring, they put out the show must go online, which I think like rescued many school drama programs across the country last year. David Farmer has also uh, done additional emails and put resources up to modify a lot of his exercises for Zoom. So it's really, it's great that some of the theater luminaries and education out there in the world are helping everybody out across the board with lessons. Yeah. Yeah. It's been super helpful. And it's funny too, because our kindergartners, they're super excited to be doing their first play and it's online. So like that will be their first memory of performing in theater, which is kind of interesting too. So do you have them do like warm ups? I mean, are are you able to get physical with like on Zoom and do you have that set up? We do. Yeah, we do warm ups. Um, and we do, we try to play with the format of zoom as much as we can too. So we'll like, like do different emotions and like, how do you show sadness zoomed in really close to your camera or like show me angry, like really far away from your camera with your whole body. Um, singing together on zoom is interesting because everyone's on mute, just listening to the track. And then like, I get to hear back in their recordings what each of them are actually singing. So um, that's been a fun challenge, but excited to see them all in person again soon. Do you have a musical theater background? I do. Yeah, I grew up doing musical theater. That was kind of my first love. And then um, in my playwriting, a lot of my plays are sort of musicals too, or plays that have music in them. Um, So I definitely like bringing that sort of whimsical element of music into the storytelling too. So, sorry, how did you get into creating theater for young people? Was that your first entry into theater or um, or were you doing theater for adults or a more mature audience? Yeah, so my first job out of undergrad was working with a touring children's theater. And that was a really awesome experience because I got to travel all across the US and Canada. And many of the communities that we traveled to were very rural communities. And we were their only arts programming for sometimes the whole year and sometimes for like once every five years, like the community would fundraise to bring us in once every five years. Um, And that really taught me a lot about the power of theater as a community building and connection tool. Um, One of my favorite experiences was we went to this town in northern British Columbia called Tatla Lake. There's less than 100 people within a 100 mile radius. And they were one of the communities that would bring us in once every few years. And there was like a pig roast and like a, like literally everyone who lived in this town came to this event. And then they had like a pancake breakfast for like the casting crew the next morning. Um, so that really like just showed me the power of like the celebratory nature and like the ritual of like coming together to put on a show. And at the same time, I also saw that what we were putting on stage didn't necessarily cover the full breadth of experiences that kids encounter in their everyday lives. And also that sometimes the things that 
are considered not appropriate for children's art are things that they're actually experiencing in their life. And so one of like the discoveries that I've come to as an educator is that if we're not giving students art that like gives them a chance to grapple with the things that they're really experiencing, then I feel like we're doing them a disservice because art can be such a powerful tool for catharsis and understanding our emotions and empathy. And students are like really hungry to talk about the hard things. And a lot of families are too. And narrative can be a really helpful tool to um, to talk about those more, more difficult topics. Um, so that was kind of the, the beginning of the spark of my hope to create theater for young audiences. And then um, when I finished that year on tour, I lived in New York briefly and then in Connecticut. And that's when I started my teaching career. And I had a sign outside my door. We all had like our college information and our majors outside the room. And I got a lot of questions from students and parents about, oh, you were a theater major. Like, tell me more about that. And New Haven is a big theater city, but a lot of the families hadn't been to a play. And so it seemed like there was like an interest there, but not necessarily like a, like they didn't feel invited in yet. Um, and so then I started my theater company there in the summers with students from the school and also some, some amateur and some professional adult actors as well. Um, so that was the beginning of Imaginary Theater Company. That is wow. amazing. So you created this theater company to to bring families in. This is something that Tori and I, it keeps coming up, right? Tori yeah. and I keep talking about this. It's such a beautiful art form and we want to get kids engaged. So I love hearing that this is how your you, you birthed your theater company. That's amazing. That's so lovely. Thank you. Yeah. And it's been really cool when we were still in New Haven, the we operated as a company. So like we cast the same kids every year. And so eventually I was writing the shows with those kids in mind. Um, and we did a virtual production of one of our shows last spring. And some of those kids had been with us for like five years. And so like they have a whole like theater shorthand now. And one of them wants to go be on Broadway and the Lion King someday. And um, so it's really awesome to see like kids and families get that theater bug for the first time. I love what you said about you saw this need in the community. And so then you decided to to take action, you know, and I think that is it's pretty fantastic that it wasn't wasn't Oh, I'm going to start this theater company. It was Oh, people are really interested in doing this. There's a need for it here. I think it's really interesting too that you were touring to a place that just had theater once every couple of years. And I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder why that community didn't decide to do something on a more regular basis. You know, it's so interesting. But at yeah. least they had you guys coming in there. Yeah. yeah. One of um one of the high school students that had been doing our program in one of those communities since he was a little kid something that he said was that it was like getting water once every few years. Like if you had that experience as a younger kid and like found this is your passion and then you only got to do it like once every few years, like, oh so I, I feel really lucky with my position now that 
theater is something that those kids are getting to do just as part of their regular curriculum kindergarten through fifth grade. So can you speak to the educators out there and tell them why it's important to have art in the classroom? I think that in terms of just showing kids different ways to understand the world and understand themselves, I think there's so many life skills that come out of it. Like in theater, empathy is definitely a huge one that comes out of it. Like literally getting to walk in someone else's shoes and embody these characters who might have very different experiences than their own. And also just getting to bring out other parts of yourself in a safe and supportive environment. One of my favorite parts of being a theater teacher is that it's often the quietest kid in the class that ends up being the star of the show and the whole class gets to see them in a different light. And sometimes it's the kid who like usually maybe wants to be the class clown who will come up and say like, Mr. I can I like run sound like I don't I, I don't like it when everybody's looking at me. So it, it shifts, I think, some of their perspectives of themselves and of each other and helps them discover superpowers that they don't necessarily get to see when they're doing math and writing and science. And also having taught first grade and preschool as a gen ed teacher before I taught theater full time, I think that often art teachers or even just through bringing art into a regular classroom um some of the kids that struggle academically or who don't see themselves as being good at school get to shine and then they they feel more at home in the school environment just by having that association of like oh i get to paint today or i get to sing today or i get to dance today and i think just that like positive emotional connection to school can be really powerful too. Um, I know that growing up, my arts classes were something that I always looked forward to. And I have friends that credit a theater teacher or a music teacher with being the reason that they graduated from high school or the reason that they were the first in their family to pursue going to college. So I think that it can be just a really powerful door opener to many different avenues. <sighs> such a gift to have it that young. Yeah, it is. Uh, so <laughs> I would love to hear about the plays that you've written. Yeah, Canary Cockroach Phoenix um, was the most recent to be published. And that's one that we produced live in New Haven. And then we did it virtually in the spring. Um, and so that is a story of a girl who is caught between her grandmother's wisdom and the rapidly changing world around her. So when she's little, her grandmother teaches her about the stars and the constellations. And then the play fast forwards and the girl's grandmother has passed away. And her mom, who's an architect, has built this amazing skyscraper that has blocked out all of the stars in the city. And so then the girl goes on an adventure to try to save the stars. And on her adventure, she meets all these characters that her grandmother had taught her about in the constellations. So she meets a canary named Cassandra. She meets two beautiful cockroaches named Emerald and Ariadne. Uh, and it's also kind of a story about resilience and overcoming hardships and just different ways that we each find to survive and honoring the coping mechanisms that we each have and learning from each other. And you cast, do you cast with children or do you cast with adults playing children? 
Um, we always cast children as children, and then there are always some roles that are written for adults. So we had sort of a mentoring approach, which was really awesome. Just seeing the kids like blossom under all of this one-on-one -on -one adult attention was really cool to see. And it just raised the bar of professionalism so much to have adult actors in this space. But the kid characters are always the ones kind of driving the narrative forward and they're always the heroes of the story and um, the ones figuring out how to solve the problems along the way. Because of, of the pandemic, you said that you did a virtual performance, right? Of the, yeah. Of the play. So are you looking to start to do live theater when the world opens up again here in the San Diego area with the theater company? Or is the theater company continuing on in New Haven in your absence? I had been going back to New Haven in the summers. Um, and I love New Haven. It's one of my favorite places in the country. Um, but it just didn't feel sustainable to be able to like continue building those community connections while also building my theater program at the school here. Um, so I, I really want to maintain the relationships we have with those like founding kids and families. So I was really glad that an unexpected blessing of COVID was getting to do that virtual production with yeah. a lot of those, those original cast members. Um, but yeah, eventually I would love to build something similar here in San Diego. You are creating new content with the with the children. So it I mean, it truly is a youth theater where everything is being driven by the youth and whatever the needs, things they care about and what what the needs of the community are. So I'm imagining that whatever type of theater that you decide to build here, it will be different. It, it, that it's gonna it's gonna set itself apart from what other places are doing, and I think there is a space for all of it. But oh, I yeah. would really love to see theater where the the youth are a big part of the material being created. You know, I think that's I think that is incredibly exciting. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's been really exciting with our plays that have been published too, because the kids love knowing that like they originated a role that now a middle school is doing in Seattle. Like, I think that like that makes them feel really valuable as storytellers too. Um, so that's something that I hope to continue to, to carry out. So Drama Notebook, they specialize in plays for youth. Is that correct? They do. Yeah. And when I first started teaching, like before I had my own classroom, I had, I was doing like an emergency long-term sub middle school drama position and stumbled upon Drama Notebook. And the founder of it, Janae Adal, is also just amazingly responsive to anyone who is trying to teach theater and giving resources. She's put out a ton of resources during COVID. So it's a great resource for anyone who's doing theater for young people, whether you're a children's theater director or a gen ed teacher who just wants to bring art into the classroom. Well, yeah, that's... I have to I have to plug Drama Notebook because now I'm remembering it is an amazing resource 
for it has it has okay. scripts right it has a bunch of scripts yeah but it also has lesson plans it has a ton of warm-ups mm. um i've i know that i have purchased a bunch of stuff on their from their site um that is really really wonderful and and just a, it's a really really great resource and yes again for those who are not um necessarily theater people but want to just bring it in their classroom it is like it's just basically like out of the box like you know, plug and play situation. It's really great. Oh yeah. Look at this. I'm on the website. It looks great. Yeah. yeah. And it's a beautiful <laughs> website. And it's a really it nice is. website. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is great. I, wonderful. So when they publish your material, do you get um do you get paid when people you know the way like if somebody goes to Sam French and wants to produce a play and they pay for the production, does that happen with that? Or it's How's a it little work? bit different. So I have like a licensing agreement with Drama Notebook. So I still own the copyright to my material. Oh, um, okay. But then, so I get paid by Drama Notebook and then schools are encouraged to reach out individually to playwrights when they are producing our work and to like let us know how it went and share photos if they're able to. Um, so it is a cool way to like bring fellow theater educators together too. Have you thought of um, writing plays for touring in the schools as well? I know that, that, I mean, that would be adults doing it, right? Touring it around. I have definitely thought about, yeah, I think that like some of my plays would lend themselves well to like being produced in schools as a conversation starter. Um, and the play that I'm working on right now is for a slightly older audience than I typically write for. It's about, it's sort of a po post-apocalyptic world where there are no grownups and it's just kids. Um, so it's partly about the world that we leave our children and like how kids make sense of the world that they're given. And it's also about gun control because that's something that even my elementary school kids are very aware of and have a lot of questions about and especially the fifth graders like want to be able to talk about. And so plays like that, I think could do really well in like a touring environment with talkbacks. And um, so that is definitely something that I hope to learn more about and pursue in the future. I feel like it can be kind of challenging when you're broaching those types of subjects too, though, right? right? Because parents yeah. have such a it's a really polarizing topic. And right. So thinking, thinking about that and how do you, how do you honor what the kids want to talk about and what's important to them? Right. And then, yeah, it's interesting. Now <laughs> I got stuck on the whole parents thing. You're absolutely right. Because I mean, mm -hmm. I get, I have to sign permission slips just to have my kids watch a, you know, a PG wonder, you know, the movie wonder. You had to sign a permission. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. For my fifth really? grader, my yeah. yeah. Why? So what was in it that? Was... Because it was PG, even PG. I'm like, whoa. But I guess yeah. So so that is that is interesting. Have you ever come across anything like that? Sorry, where you've had to where you've had plays about difficult subject matter and 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 had to ask permission from parents or guardians about that, or is it just one of those things that ask for forgiveness later? With my theater company. I was always pretty clear in the audition material what the content was oh. about. Um, and the the first few years when I 
gave scripts to families before rehearsal started, I would encourage them to like read it before our first day of rehearsals and reach out to me if there was anything that made them uncomfortable. And then most of the families after a year or two, we'd already worked with them. And so they kind of knew like the kind of themes that we discussed, but trusted that it would be handled in like a developmentally appropriate way. Um, and then definitely with my elementary school role, I do try to keep it a little more like things I know that they're already talking about in their classrooms or literature or things that like they're already familiar with. Because yeah, I think just the more kids and families that you're working with, like the more you have to be a little more careful or a little more like open to like making sure everyone is on the same page and um, feels comfortable with what's being presented. But I think that is like a really interesting thing to think about as a theater maker for young audiences. And Idris Goodwin is a playwright who writes a lot for young audiences who I admire his work a lot. And he just produced a play called Jacked. That's a, it's an adaptation of Jack and the Beanstalk, but it's also about drug addiction, but it's told in this very developmentally appropriate way. And it's written for like six to 12 year olds. And so that was something that me and my team at my school were like, oh, I wonder if like at some point we could do like a virtual field trip to bring that in. But it is also like, how do we do the work up front of like sharing with classroom teachers and families? Like this is like a thing that we would like to share and so that it doesn't feel like a surprise to anybody in a, in a negative way. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you left us a little speed when you said Idris Goodwin. So that's like a that's like a trigger of um, confetti and celebration because I I'm obsessed with Idris Goodwin. He's and, amazing. Yeah, and and, I, and Tori is obsessed too now. Well, and well, um, she, Mabel introduced me to her obsession, and now I'm equally obsessed. <laughs> I haven't seen Jacked, but I saw the trailer for it, and it's you know, but I heard him speak about it. And he was talking about that it was uh, in response to the opioid epidemic. Yeah. So I'm really. Have you seen it? Have you seen the 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 animated version? I, I have. Guess, I guess that's what it was, right? It became an animated version because they had to they had to pull the plug on the uh, because of the pandemic for the what the original plan was. Yeah, it's really beautiful and powerful. And in reading the, they have a bunch of educator resources that you can find on their website. Um, I think it's Metro Theater Company that has it available for streaming right now. Um, and it has all these statistics about how many kids are affected by having someone in their family who is dealing with addiction. And so really amazing that he was able to, to bring that story to light in a way that like a kid could could grapple with and like see themselves reflected in. And yeah. so here's a question for you. If a child has not dealt with that kind of life experience, would they would they have a totally different experience watching the play? I guess I'm just curious about how how to deal with difficult subject matter if you yourself as a child haven't dealt with that kind of subject matter. Can you still get something out of the the performance? I think you would definitely still get out of something out of it. And that's something that I thought about while I was watching it, trying to figure out like what they would get out of it. And I think they might sort of be left with the feeling that I know I had as a child. And I think a lot of kids have when they read like Maurice Sendak stories of just being like, 
like this feels true to me and I'm like a little bit unsettled and I don't know why, but it feels important. And I think like that can be a powerful experience too. Like even if they don't have the same like schema and context to understand what's happening in the story that some of their friends and classmates might, they still can understand like, like this character Jack is in a really hard situation, but like his family loves him and like things are hard. And then it does have like a happy ending. Like it is a story of, of resilience and coming together and healing and growth. And so I think they would still like be able to track the trajectory of that and empathize with it, even if they didn't have the same like direct connection that some other children might. Well, I think it ties into um, what happens in theater, no matter what you're watching, whether you're an adult or a child, and it's that empathy building um, component, right? That That you are getting to walk in the shoes of another. And I think kids in particular are really good at role play, are really good at, especially if they start that from a young age, like you're doing, you know, teach, teaching them how to identify when someone's going through something. I mean, boy, to see that on a, on a stage or see it presented to you in that manner, and then have the opportunity to talk about it. Because I'm imagining that if you watch something like that, that then you have the opportunity to, t- to talk about it, that there's a talk back of some sort or some sort of um, debriefing where the students can ask questions and have an opportunity to dig in a little deeper. So Starry, we've signed up to take a playwriting class with Idris. Oh, I'm on the wait list. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so nervous. Yeah, oh. that's I, I hope that he teaches that like multiple times over the years because yeah that's so awesome that he's offering that so we're so we're a little bit nervous um to take this class with idris yeah Um, so what tips would you give someone who has limited or no experience writing um theater for young audiences um i draw a lot of my inspiration from picture books in terms of structure and having powerful images or powerful emotional experiences in like really quick bite-sized chunks. And I think also writing for young audiences isn't always as different from writing for adults as we might think that it is. Cause I think that kids are a lot wiser and more intuitive than they often get credit for. And so I think like, if it feels true to you, it'll feel true to the kids. Um, and that's one of my favorite, Maurice Sendak is like one of my heroes. And one of his quotes is, I don't believe in childhood. I don't believe there's a demarcation. If, if it's true, you tell them. Um, and so that's kind of what I try to, to keep as my true north when I'm writing for young audiences. Wise words. Yes. Do you think there's any subject matter that's off limits for, for TYA? I think as long as like the story is sort of at the center of it, then yeah, I think it's okay to like try to grapple with, with anything that kids might be encountering in their lives. Is there a particular uh, subject that you would like to see a, a play developed 
about? And maybe you shouldn't answer that question because maybe then you, you, you just think about it. <laughs> if you want to answer, you can, but then, you know, so I'm just going to leave that with you and you, you think about that and you don't <laughs> the The play that I'm writing right now, which is like sort of partially about gun control, I think is something that like five years ago or like before I became a teacher, I don't know if I would have thought that that was like suitable material for a play for young audiences. But like I taught, I was teaching in Connecticut when Newtown and Sandy Hook happened. And so like my elementary school kids like were dealing with the fact that that had happened a town over and like active shooter drills are just like part of being an elementary school kid or a teacher now. And we kind of, forget that that's sort of insane. And we like, don't really offer, we just pretend it's normal. We don't really offer a way to like cope with that or to like wrestle with how like it shouldn't be normal. Um, So that's like, I think if it feels like kids are already wrestling with it, then I think it's something that we should put on stage for them to see. That is a fantastic perspective and really, What you said earlier stuck with me about kids are hungry to talk about these of heavy things. I think that completely just makes sense and is so important as artists and artists who work with children. There is a, there is an even greater responsibility because, because you know that there is a, a potential impact in the work that you're putting out there on young impressionable minds. But, uh, but it's important also as, as, the artist to, to recognize that it's not just us putting, you know, making impressions, but the young people are also teaching us. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Do you have anything coming up? I think the main things are just, um, to check out our virtual performance of Canary Cockroach Phoenix, which is on our website and then is also available on YouTube. And if you are a children's theater director or a theater educator looking for a play, I would encourage you to check out Drama Notebook and check out one of our plays that are available there. Okay, so I have two questions for you for asking for a friend. And one is because you mentioned picture books. So first, so this is a two for asking for a friend. Um, so first asking for a friend, what is your, is a, is a favorite recent picture book? Oh, it doesn't have to be recent, but um, if there's a, 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 a picture book that you, you're just one that you're like, ah, this is, <laughs> hmm. Uh, I think Where the Wild Things Are is probably my my all-time favorite, and that's one that we do with the first graders almost every year, and they just love getting to be the wild things. And, like, one of the, like, the taglines of Where the Wild Things Are is there's one of in each of us, and, like, the little kids, especially during the wild rumpest, just, like, love unleashing that part of themselves. So that comes to mind, and then Harold and the Purple Crayon is one of my all-time favorites too because he just like creates the solutions to whatever needs to happen next oh my gosh it's one of Mabel's favorites too really (laughs) yes because because why because he is taking charge and like he you know he's faced with an obstacle and then he like draws his way out of it it's so (laughs) yeah I feel like Harold has been my my model this past year in 2020 is just like, we'll just draw whatever needs to happen next and figure out a way to keep going. Yeah. 
those are great great books um okay so now comes the the asking for a friend if you could be the best in the world at one thing what one thing would that be oh planning birthday parties <laughs> that's something that i like always loved doing as a child and i think that if I had the power to like create the perfect birthday party for for all of my loved ones, I think that would be pretty cool. Make so many memories. That is a very <laughs> generous answer. <laughs> that is selfless mm-hmm. and lovely. <laughs> that that is a very character revealing answer. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that says a lot about you, Starry. Tori, what would yours be? Well, now I feel like I have to say something selfless. No. <laughs> okay. That's okay. <laughs> no, I was thinking about it. And I think, um, I, oh, gosh, I don't know. It's hard for me to answer right now because I feel like being the mom of a teenager right now. <sighs> um. You could be the best mom of a teenager. <laughs> I could be the best, yeah, at always doing the right thing. Oh, the, that's a good one too. That's a really good answer. Yeah, that's a good one too. I'm, I'm gonna, on I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow the trend. <laughs> and if I could be the best at making someone feel valued, ooh, oh. <laughs> that would be. That would be mine. But I have to say, Starry, like, she won. Because that was really, that was really lovely. That's really won. You won the podcast. You won the podcast. Congratulations. (laughs) Woohoo. So, um, Starry, do you have a writing exercise that you could leave our listeners with? Yeah. So this is one I got from my friend, Anna Fox, who's an awesome playwright who I just took a playwriting class with. Um, And it is to... It's mostly for when you're already in the process of writing a play, but to write one monologue from their perspective as a really young child, and then one monologue from their perspective on the last day of their life. And even if neither of them end up making it into your play in any way, it still can be really eye-opening in terms of understanding your character and what's important to them. So that has been really helpful to me. Do they know it's the last day of their life? Oh, I think whenever I've done it, they haven't, but that would be, that might be an even more interesting challenge if like they do know and like, what do they want to say? Yeah. Yeah. Now, was this, was this from a writing workshop you took together or did, is this one that you do, that you do like on a regular basis outside of that? That was one that I learned from her in a, it was like a six week playwriting class that I took with her this fall. Um, and she also teaches playwriting at UCLA. So I think it might be one that she uses oh, nice. with her students there too. Yeah. Cool. That's really cool. Now, as I say, cause I remember meeting you at the dramatist guild function. Gosh, was that right before COVID happened? Yes, it was. Like, yes, it was. Like weeks before. It, yeah. it might have been like, yeah, it might have been like a year and two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. One week. Yeah. Maybe even it was end week. of play. Wow. End of yeah. play. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Which yeah. Yeah, I was not successful at doing. 
No one was. It was we were dealing yeah. with the pandemic, right? <laughs> we were, like they, the world okay. was a so was sorry, end of you, world. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> end of world. Okay, beautiful. Are you doing end of play this year? I maybe I don't know. I did just order. I think from hearing it on the podcast, the ninety day play. Um, oh yes. So I think I don't know if that will get me to end of play like in the correct time frame, but I will use this as like a catalyst to like focus it on on my play more. Which there's I'm so many about. good exercises in that book. I mean, really, yeah. it's truly um, packed full. It'll keep you. It'll it'll definitely keep you working your muscle for sure. Yeah, and I just did the twenty eight plays in 28 days challenge which i found out from from the podcast too so that was really fun did you finish i did i was really mad at myself there was one day that i forgot to submit on time so i i made like the completer list but not the like the official (laughs) finisher list oh no you know what i had to have it in my calendar i had it in my calendar to remind me because yeah, there were a couple of days where I went, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to go to, I, oh no, I've got to turn in a play. Yeah. yeah. I started putting like a sign on my pillow so that I would remember like, before you go to bed, you have to go click submit. No, yeah. I did. I did not always follow the prompts that they sent out. Um, but what I did do, Mabel a while ago had gotten me this Storymatic have you ever done Whoa, it? Oh, no, that's so oh, cool. Oh my gosh. And I got to tell you, this was a lifesaver for me during that challenge. I would pull a couple of cards for the character's story. Like, for example, Runaway and Ooh. Person Who Refuses to Fit In. <laughs> and those, those would be my two characters. Oh, and cool. Then, and then I would pull like an orange card and. It says first kiss, and then that would either be my action or it would be a line of dialogue. Oh. And that's how, that's how I kind of did it for myself. And I got to tell you, lifesaver. That's it, awesome. Storymatic. Yeah. Cool. It's oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. That sounds fun to play with, with my students too. But congratulations. You still yes. did it. I mean, you, you did still it. did 28. Yeah. <laughs> And I don't, I don't know if you've gone back to look at anything you wrote. I mean, I know I've, I've got to say a lot of what I wrote was not wonderful. No, but but there's a couple of them that I ended up really liking the plays. And I even went back. I, I, I took one that I'd written during the challenge. It, it was short. So I expanded it and then I started submitting it to places so oh because cool. I like yeah I went oh you know what I like this I'm gonna I'm gonna add some more details and flesh it out a bit and, mm-hmm. so, yeah I'll definitely need to go, go back, back and, and reread yeah so, we talked about your your work for theater for young audiences but do you actually write uh, other stuff do you do stuff for adults or are, are you primarily are you exclusively i should say exclusively in tya thus far i've exclusively been in tya um i think my hope with all my plays is that they're sort of the theatrical equivalent of a pixar movie that like family members feel like they're getting something out of the story as well um and then the play that i'm working on now i think 
will be like a little bit more of like a bridge between TYA and like a general audience um, in terms of like length and sub subject matter. But yeah, so far I've never in a play just for grownups yet. But that was fun with the 28 day challenge too, because yeah. a lot of those plays were not specifically with TYA in mind. Sorry, it was so much fun having you today. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Was... Thank you for having me. And um, we will we will look for you and your theater company online, and we'll put, post all of your information on the show notes. And um, and we expect to see more great things from you. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you both. Thank you, Starry. What a great interview! Yes, that was fabulous. I mean, I remember that I remember meeting her at that Dramatist Guild event before the world shut down. And I know both you and I walked out going, we have to, we have to get to know her better. I wanted to hear more about her storytelling. And that was before the podcast was yes. uh, a, an a actual living thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so what, what a treat to get to, um, to get to talk to her again. What she had to say about how children can are open to receiving these stories and, and wanting to make that connection with difficult things. I just, that really resonated with me. So yes, I appreciate that. So thank you, Starry. Um, I just want to point out uh, a year ago yesterday was our final class in-person class. So it's been, it's been a year and a day since we've been face-to-face -face with our playwrights. And mm. I just want to take a moment to honor that and um, to to say that we're still in it. We're still with you all. And um, and we will be here doing it, whether by podcast or by by whatever form that we're able to uh, to talk story with anybody who's willing to talk with us about the work that they're creating. So <laughs> if you uh, if you know a teacher, share this episode with them. Mm -hmm. This was a great episode. It's always, it's wonderful to hear from someone boots on the ground in classrooms with kids and, um, and knowing the value and the importance of art in the classroom. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's really important. And so, so share this episode with a, with an educator. All right, Tori. All right, Mabel. I think we're, uh. We're gonna get ready because we have a big week coming up. We're starting a new class, and yes, we are. Where we're the students. I know that I'm... doesn't happen. That doesn't happen that often. So, oh, but I'm I'm so looking forward to learning some new. <laughs> looking forward to learning from our amazing faculty as well as our fellow participants in the class our oh my students. gosh yeah I think it's just going to be a blast to connect with other playwrights and yeah I, I'm always looking for ways to grow as a playwright and this will be exciting all right Tori I will um I'll see you in class <laughs> <laughs> see you in class later Bye. educator <laughs> <laughs>